Does anyone know what the big news this last Thursday was in the world of social media? Does anyone know? Someone went to the moon, that was 50 years ago. Does anyone remember what happened on Thursday? We got 50 years ago, let's work our way forward. So in the world of Instagram, the likes have disappeared from Instagram. No longer on Instagram will you be able to see how many of your friends have liked your other friend's photograph of their avocado on toast. And it's devastating the world. Have a look at this. Here we go. There's one article from the Sydney Morning Herald. There you go. Confessions of an Instagram addict. I'm glad we're losing our likes. There you go. Uh, I encourage you to go and read that to understand more about what Instagram is doing. But you see, the reason for it is that Instagram is based, well, they wouldn't say this, but primarily it's a popularity contest. And the game is all about getting more and more likes, more and more popularity. If your friend has 20 likes on their photo, you need to try and get 21. That's the, that's the game that gets played on the Instagram platform. And Instagram are aware of this, and they're also aware of the fact that People do all sorts of things in order to get more likes. They filter and fake their photographs. They sensationalize, sexualize, or sterilize their posts to get more and more likes because that's the way the game is played. And the problem is that studies into depression and anxiety and suicide all point to this social media behavior, this social media-fueled popularity contest as a major contributing factor. So this is Instagram's response to that temptation of young people and old to, to do, in, well, somewhat inadvisable things to get more. Today in our Bible, we turn to a, a story of David and Bathsheba, another example of someone whose desire for more drove them to, well, perhaps on Instagram, it doesn't drive you to adultery or murder, but uh, in David's case, it did. So we are talking about King David. King David was king of Israel about a thousand years before Jesus is born, give or take a few hundred years, depending on how you date things. One day, David is on the roof of his palace and he sees a young woman taking a bath. Scholars are not entirely sure of the ages. They don't all agree, but generally in the area of around about David being about 50 years old and Bathsheba being about 20. So there's that, that going on. So David is out on his roof. It's pretty odd that David is there. His army is off fighting a border skirmish uh, with the Amalekites. Is that right? Amalekites? Does anyone remember? Yeah, it is the Amalekites. Some of the parasites, one of them. So they're off. And, and as a king, that's your job. Foreign affairs. You are supposed to be there leading your battle. But he's not. Uh, we don't know why he was walking around on his roof. Now, it might sound like, when you read the text that in English, that he's just out for a stroll on the roof. But actually, there's an intentionality about the original text that, that implies for us that he was in a part of the roof that's not easily accessible. In fact, it implies that he went out of his way, crawling over the roof in a way, in order to see Bathsheba better. It wasn't just accidental. 
Well, anyway, he brings Bathsheba to him. He sleeps with her and she gets pregnant. And to prevent some sort of scandal, he calls Uriah back, her husband, he calls him back from the battle in order to try and get him to sleep with her so that it looks like it's his baby. And he doesn't because all his mates are there out fighting and he thinks that's just not fair if he's at home enjoying, you know, home life while his friends are off. So he doesn't. So David sends him back to the front line and says, put him right out the front line. And of course, he gets killed. David takes Bathsheba to be his wife and eventually she gives birth to Solomon, uh, who, who we know of. Um, there is another baby and a horrific story of curse and, and blessing in between there, so uh, I encourage you to continue to read Second Samuel uh, 13 as well. Now, into this situation, God says to Nathan the prophet, I want you to go to the king and tell him, I know what he's done. I know what you did. Can you imagine being Nathan? Right? You're the prophet of Israel and you've been told by God to go to the king and say, listen here, God sees what you've done. God knows what you've done. Can you imagine? He must have been terrified. The king could have just Take it off his head. End of story, no problem, no scandal. He's gone. He's the king. So Nathan decides to break the news gently, to try and get around it. So he starts with this parable that we read from 2 Samuel 12, the Rebecca read for us before. He starts with this parable of this rich man who has a lot of sheep. Man comes to visit. So instead of killing one of his own sheep to prepare a meal, He goes and takes the sheep, the only sheep that the other farmer owns, and kills that one instead. Steals a sheep. David gets upset when Nathan tells him this story. He says, how dare the rich man? And Nathan smacks him between the eyes and says, you are that rich man. The revelation is before David. A truth that David had been denying and dismissing, Nathan highlights for him in a very, very real and confronting way. Um, We're not going to delve into this, we're going to look at exactly how Nathan and what God says through Nathan, but I I find the most powerful part of this story is actually the next few verses that we didn't read, and we're not actually going to explore those a little bit, this is just a bit of an aside for those of you who are uh, playing along at home. the, The most powerful moment is Nathan is there, he's accused the king, in a humiliating and embarrassing situation, right? The king could quite easily have denied it. You know, their world leaders do this, they deny the truth, or they dismiss people, or they cut them down. In David's case, he could have done it literally, but David doesn't. He says, I have. And I think that's what makes David one of the most powerfully uh, spiritual characters in the, in the Scriptures, where, where he does an incredibly bad and wrong thing. And when he's confronted with that truth, he owns it, he confesses, and he spends time in repentance. But anyway, before we get there, um, later on in David's life, oh no, <laughs> 
David, so, you know, now David has, um, we're not entirely sure, but we think once he marries Bathsheba, he now has seven wives, right? One for every day of the week. He's conquered pretty much every enemy there is. He rules a united kingdom. He lives in a palace. He's stupid rich, and yet he still wanted more. Do you find that odd? Sort of, but then think about it. We all have that kind of temptation, don't we? Whether it's a few more likes on Instagram, a few more dollars by working more and more overtime and leaving our families at home, a few more hours, just a few more images on this computer screen. More is a temptation in every area of our lives. We are very much like David. Finances, sex, possessions, relationships, influence, reputation, power, we all just want a bit more. Later on in David's life, he writes what is probably the most peaceful piece of Scripture ever written. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. How is it that a man so tormented with this desire for more that he would commit adultery and murder grows to the place where he can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I am at peace and I am content. We want to be more Psalm 23, David, than Samuel 12, David. In order to move there, we're going to look at three pieces of uh, wisdom that the Scriptures bring us. We're going to look at gratefulness, righteousness, and nearness. In order to help us understand how we move to a place of more contentedness, which helps us deal with the temptations of more. Sound good? All right, so we're going to be very practical today. Um, we've started doing some of these things during our meeting, and I'm going to give you three things, three challenges to do every day this week in order to develop this work of contentedness in us. First of all, gratefulness. I want to say about gratefulness, the first thing I want to say is that gratefulness is not the same as appreciation. Saying, uh, th saying thank you for something as you receive it is appreciation and that's good and that's part of being grateful, but it's not the whole bag. We, we did this a bit, for, a bit before. Gratefulness is being mindful of all you have, all you've been given, all the good experiences that you've been blessed with and developing an overarching sense of gratitude for those things and experiences. See, look at what God says to David through Nathan. He lists all the good things, doesn't he? He says, I made you king over the Israel. I freed you from the, list, from the fist of Saul. I gave you your master's daughter and other wives to have and to hold. I gave you both Israel and Judah. And if, you, and if that hadn't been enough, I'd have gladly thrown in much more. He lists the things David has been given and experienced and been blessed with. So a few months ago, we talked about gratitude do you remember? And I gave homework of making a list of 40 things. Did anybody, does anyone remember me doing that? So the follow-up question to that is how many of you did that? Has anyone, hands up if you made that list, if you were around and, and you've got that list somewhere? 
I know a few people came up to me and a few people not putting their hands up have come up to me and said, hey, I made that list. What the challenge is, is if you've made that list, take it out, review it, add to it every day, 40 things, 40 things. Actually, I think um, I think the original challenge was 100 things, list 100 things, and everyone just went, so I dropped it to 40. So, if you can, make a list of 40 things that you are grateful for, and review it every day, add to it every day. So, that's the homework for this week. Um, one of the things that struck me this week um, is I remembered, Rebecca and I took a team of young people to the Philippines, um, long seven years, long time ago and one of the things that you, you, you realise in the third world is they have rubbish everywhere. They, they have rubbish bins, that's fine, but they're usually the tin ones and they're old and they're knocked over and um, wild pest animals get into them and feral cats everywhere. So, one of the things this week, I was putting out my bins and I'd been thinking about gratitude and stuff and I'm like, I'm grateful for my bin. Are you grateful for your bins? Yeah, we are grateful for our bins. So, my challenge is this week, write a list of 40 things at least or just keep going until bins <laughs> makes it naturally onto your list. Does that sound okay? So you, some of you are going to get some really long lists before you get down to bins. Okay, so that's our challenge for this week. Developing gratefulness increases our contentedness. And it boosts our resilience in the face of the temptations. Now, the second part of this is righteousness. Righteousness. Being mindful of righteousness. Now, this involves not just thinking about what the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do is. I mean, generally, that's pretty obvious, right? At least in David's case, it was pretty obvious. Adultery and murder was the wrong thing to do. But what's more important, according to this text, is the why. Look what, look what um, God says to David through Nathan immediately after listing those good things that he's given him. He says, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? And that's a great question. Have you ever done something and you go, why did I do that? Or is that just me? Thank you for the murmurs. Some of those murmurs might have been, yeah, it's just you. Why? See, David's desire wasn't as simple as it seemed. Remember, he wasn't at work, he wasn't at the battle that he's supposed to be in. Instead, he's hanging around at home, ogling, bathing women. Something else is going on for David. There are deeper desires and issues at stake here. David's desire for Bathsheba is, is truly human and like the desires all of us experience, the temptations that we have. Most of them are made up of underlying ingredients. I mean, some of them are big things like desires for affection, desire for notice, desire for success, desire for love, desire for this and that. And Sometimes, though, they're just relatively minor things desire for a good night's sleep. I mean, sometimes I make dumb decisions just because I'm hungry. Anyone else do that? 
See, sometimes our, 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 our unrighteousness, our dumb decisions come from really low-level things and they're made up of all these ingredients. And sometimes it's a, it's a matter of being aware of what those smaller ingredients are and being able to deal with each one of them as they come up. Have a snack, have a nap. Excellent. That's your challenge for this week. Have a snack and have a nap. Amen. I wonder how this story may have turned out if David had talked to God about what he was feeling and how he was, the urges that he was suffering or experiencing. I wonder how this story may have turned out if David had discussed this with a, a trusted friend or, or an advisor or maybe even Nathan. Perhaps together they could have found ways for David to address the deeper desires, to deal with his deeper needs and issues that would have prevented the unrighteous behaviour that had such catastrophic consequences. Well, for us and our challenge and our practical thing this week, one of the ways we can decipher our desires is by reading the Scriptures and praying, uh, reading books, talking to trusted friends and counsellors and psychologists. Counsellors and psychologists are professional conversationalists. They are really good, in a lot of times, in understanding what the ingredients are of some of our feelings. And they can help sometimes as well. So, part two of our challenge this week is everybody needs to make an appointment with a psychologist. No. I bet you all the psychologists in Wollongong would be happy if I said that. Get some business. But what I want to say is this. Let's take David's route. Let's do what David did. Now, see, David wrote, later on, he writes Psalm 139. Some of you will be familiar with it. Some of you won't. But it ends this way. Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. What's going on? And then guide me in the road to eternal life. Or in other translations, in the paths of righteousness. So part two of our challenge is to read through this psalm. Not just these final two verses, three verses. But to sit and read through the psalm in prayer and then sit and contemplate what God might be making aware to you. See, developing an awareness like this of what our, our deepest heart desires are and where they come from protects us against the temptations that we face and helps us walk in paths of righteousness. So that's the second step. Number one, develop our list, maintain our list, review our list. Number two, pray our way through Psalm 139 and listen and try and become aware of what God is trying to say about our, our inner lives. And finally, nearness. Now, I call it nearness because it kind of works with gratefulness and uh, righteousness and nearness. You know, ness, 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 ness. I kind of do things like that sometimes with language. It's, it's a terrible habit. Because what I really want to say is about the presence. It's practicing the presence. So, after a season of repentance in David's life, he draws near to God. He becomes known as 
A man after God's own, does anyone know? Heart, yeah, yeah. All of you biblical scholars, I love it. It's uh, 2 Samuel 13, 14, there you go. Now, it's a little late, but he did realise that what really satisfied him was not companionship with another man's wife. It was nearness to God. Look at what David writes in Psalm 73, verse 28, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. When you're near God, the temptations of more become less powerful because you're closer to what is the good. So the practical in this area, this week, is to be more mindful of God's presence. A few hundred years ago, uh, Brother Lawrence, a monk, wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God, but it's really um, something you can do, anyone can do, you don't have to be a monk to do it, all you have to do is be bored. Here you go, I'll tell you how. No, okay, so number one, this week, every morning, I want you to spend some time in prayer and it has to be just one sentence. I mean, I was talking to someone before the meeting and they said they have a really hard time getting out of bed in the morning and I said, I hear you. Now, they had no knee, like knees broken, but whatever. Do you ever get up in the morning and you say a prayer? You say, good Lord, it's morning. Well, maybe you want to switch that around and say, good morning, Lord. That's it. Maybe you want to get technical. Good morning, Lord. Thank you for today. Or maybe you want to go to the next level. Good morning, Lord. Thank you for today. Help me be more aware of your presence today. That's, 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 all, that's the start of the day. It's a way to start. And you'll see how that shifts a slight mindset. It has a domino effect in the way you see God's presence throughout your day. It just builds and builds and builds. Because the next step, the second step, and the second practical thing we want to do in, in this area, is take the mundane and make it holy. How many of you have really boring things you have to do each day? Really? You live such exciting lives. I'll ask again, how many of you have really boring things you have to do each day? Yeah, that's better. Now I feel affirmed, thank you. The trick uh, around this practicing the presence of God is the challenge is to take the mundane, the routine, the, the stuff you can do with your eyes closed and turn them into holy moments. When you are um, peeling potatoes, does anyone peel potatoes anymore? Yeah, Rebecca does. Uh, I probably shouldn't have admitted that. All right. When you're peeling your potatoes, as an example, picture Jesus standing next to you and just chat. That's it. You don't have to say anything particularly. You might not say, God, can you help me with these potatoes? Like, seriously. And you picture God with you in the mundane and the, the, the boring and the terrible time. Or they're not terrible. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? You're always aware of God's presence when you're in mountaintop kind of experiences, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
literally, I climb the mountain and I look out and I see this incredible vista and I'm like, God, you are good. Creation is good, right? You, you have that sort of experience? If not, you should climb a mountain. Or just drive up to Sublime Point, you can do that. Now, you also have God, you, you experience the presence of God in the, in the dark times, don't you? Yeah. But how often do you think about experiencing the presence of God in the boring times? Those in-between times that are just there. That's what I want, to, I, I want you to, to think about. In those boring in-between times, to imagine the presence of God with you, if that helps. Because the presence of God is with you, but sometimes we can't understand it unless we imagine him or her as a person. Does that make sense? All right. So, three tasks this week. Number one, write, review, your list of things that you're grateful for. Number two, pray through the Psalm 139, asking God to reveal in you those desires that are tempting you towards unrighteousness so that He may lead you in the paths of righteousness. And number three, every morning, thank God, ask God to be with you, just be aware of God. And then, whenever you find yourself bored, remember the presence of God. Does that sound like a challenge? Could we do that? All right, so I'm going to pray. We're going to sing our final song, but we're going to pray first. And I want to invite you, if you want to do that, if you want to join that challenge with me this week, I mean, it's going to be fairly easy for me, So, because uh, I'm on holiday, so I, I've got all the time and boredom I can uh, hang on to. So if you would like to stand with me, we're going to pray over our week coming this week that we might uh, take up those challenges. Would you like to stand with me and pray? Lord God, I thank you for all that you have given us. I thank you for everything we have, all the experiences that we've had all the way down to our garbage bins and further. Lord, I thank you that you also know us, that you are the creator that sees deep into our hearts and souls. You are the one who can piece out the ingredients of our, our desires, and you can help us know them, deal with them, and work with them in ways that are righteous rather than unrighteous. And God, thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're here in this space, in this place. I thank you that you're with me as I drive. Thank you with me as we peel potatoes we take out the bins, as we mop, vacuum, iron, wash. Lord, as we do all sorts of stuff, you're with us through it all. Help us, God, this week to be mindful of your presence and may that build in us an understanding of your nearness and may we know your good above and beyond all things we pray. Amen and amen.